This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 13. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin, and it is just a joy to have you here with us today. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're driving down the road. Maybe you're uh, in the gym. Maybe you're walking down the street, wherever you are, however you may be doing. Uh, It's just an honor that you decided to spend part of your day with us. Hey, today we've got a great guest for you, a great show lined up. We're super excited, super pumped about this. Uh, Today we are joined by my friend J.D. Roth. And uh, J.D. actually uh, used to write a site called Get Rich Slowly. I don't know if you've checked that out before, getrichslowly.org. If you haven't seen it, you might want to check that out. The link you can find in the show notes uh, for today's episode at grantbaldwin.com slash J.D. Roth, R-O-T-H. And uh, whenever my wife and I, a couple years ago, we were in kind of a financial mess. We had about $30,000 in in school loans and credit card debts and medical bills and car loans and just all the standard American crap. We had that whenever we first got married and we finally got to a point where like this is stupid. This sucks. I don't want to be I don't want to be in this kind of mess. And so we uh, we really worked hard. It took us about 2 years, but we paid off every dime of our debt. So today we have a, a mortgage on our house, but that's it. So we uh, we don't have any credit card debt, we don't have any school loans, any car loans. We own our children free and clear. So that's a bonus. We get to keep them. That's nice. I think they like that too. Most days, I think they like that. But whenever we were in that mess, there's a lot of different online and offline people that really were a big influence and just kind of helping us. And JD's blog, uh, Get Rich Slowly, was definitely one of those. So that's why I'm, I'm super excited to share his story with you today. One of the cool things about JD's story, one of, I guess kind of one of the interesting things was he would even acknowledge that he kind of wandered aimlessly for about 15 years of his life, just trying a variety of different things, not really sure where he was going or what it was that he wanted to do with his life, trying a bunch of things, really what he liked, what he didn't like, before he kind of stumbled into this whole blog world, got into blogging and got into writing about personal finances, just kind of never necessarily like a, a business or this thing that was going to become something huge. It was just kind of him processing it out loud and sharing his journey with people that may choose to read it. So even as we talk about blogging, you'll hear us reference cats, comics, and computers a lot. Those are the three magic C's of today's episode, boys and girls. Also, one of the things that he said that I thought was really really interesting uh, and I find also ironic coming from a personal finance guy but has some uh, metaphoric value to it was he talks about how uh, he began to view opportunities kind of like lottery tickets hang with me go with me I'm not a fan of the lottery I think it's stupid but here's one of the things he said he said basically lottery tickets you know you, you lose a lot but occasionally you might win something from it. And so he even acknowledges that a lot of opportunities are like lottery tickets, that some may be worth nothing, but some may be worth massive amounts of value to you. So he even shares a story of an opportunity that has had a huge, huge effect on both his personal and his business life. So just kind of an interesting perspective there. Again, that's not an endorsement for the lottery. Don't go play the lottery, but seek out and look for opportunities when you can. Also, if you're interested in starting a blog or beginning some type of niche project, JD is going to share three different timeless strategies that he's found that has just that's just worked regardless of what niche or what industry. Uh, if you're wanting to begin to start something online and write about it and share your work with the world, these are some thoughts that are really going to uh, be helpful and beneficial. 
Also, one of the things we talk about is maybe you are someone that's listening to this and trying to figure out how do I transition from a job that maybe I hate or I'm interested in starting some type of business or or going into a different direction or starting a new job. How do I financially just kind of get everything in order before I make that leap? So we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. All right. Hey, hope you've been enjoying the podcast. If you haven't had a chance already, be sure and swing by uh, grantbaldon.com slash iTunes and you can leave all of the, uh, you can leave a review or rating for the podcast on iTunes. That would really, really help us out. We really appreciate that. All right. Hey, uh, enough about this. You can find all the show notes at grandbaldon.com slash JD Roth. Let's do this. Here's JD. All right. Today we're hanging out with JD Roth. JD, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks, Grant. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you being here. Yeah. All right. Now, you've always kind of been known in this personal finance space, and you're someone that that has created a blog around this and has written a lot on this and has really kind of become a a go-to person on the subject. Tell us a little bit about what your business looks like today and kind of what what all you're involved in in this personal finance space. Well, it's kind of a mess, to be honest. Throughout my uh, personal finance career, if you want to call it that, I haven't really been that intentional about what I've done. I've just kind of... uh, taking opportunities as they've come along and uh, uh, just kind of pursued them. So what I do today is I contribute two or three articles a month to getrichslowly.org, which is the personal finance blog I started in 2006 and sold in 2009. I also write regularly for my personal blog, which is jdroth.com. And there I I write more about happiness and overcoming fear. And, And the real secret, Grant, is that when I'm writing about money, I'm actually writing about happiness. That, that's really what I've been writing about the whole time, and I just didn't really realize it until uh, maybe in the past two or three years. I also contribute the Your Money column to Entrepreneur Magazine, and over the past couple of years, I've helped organize a couple of different conferences, and I've spoken at a variety of conferences. And so uh, I, I'm really just kind of doing my best to share what I've learned with as many people as possible. Cool. Nice, man. Sounds like you've got your, your hands in a lot of different things right now. Yeah, and I, too many, actually. And I, I'm doing my best to kind of cut back and simplify things. Well, one of the things that you mentioned earlier there is that you, you know, you've, for the past several years, you've always written about personal finance and money, but really it's kind of this, this almost this guise to write really about happiness. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? For a long time, I was an unhappy guy. And the thing that I thought was really, really causing my unhappiness was the fact that I was deep in debt. Uh, I got into debt habit, credit card habit when I was in college. So I graduated from college in 1991 with the start of a credit card habit. And my debt just increased as time went along. And it, it took me a long time. It was 2004 before I, I decided I wanted to get out of debt. And, and instead of just, I, I used to look for magic bullets, you know, and I wanted to get rich quickly. And so uh, right around then, I started reading books about personal finance and realized, oh, I have to dig out of debt myself. I can't wait for somebody else to solve the problem. And boy, now I've lost my train of thought. How did that question start? <laughs> happiness and money. Because obviously, yeah, you know, there's that old saying that money doesn't buy happiness. But yeah, so it sounds so, like you, you kind of went, went down this trail for a while that just I'm just unhappy. And I don't know why, but it seems like a big thread uh, and kind of big arc is tied back to money. So it sounds like that's kind of where you're at, where you started to look and to so, figure out how do, how do right, I get out of this I, mess? I'm not sure how I lost the happiness thing there, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, sometimes it happens. You start talking and you, you don't realize where you started from. You're so, good. Uh, you're good. We're back. 
Okay, I, I paid off the debt. Eventually, I paid off the debt and, in fact, uh, accumulated enough money that I was financially independent. I was very fortunate in that regard. And surprisingly, or perhaps not surprisingly, while I was happier, I wasn't that much happier. So I thought, okay, maybe it's because I'm 50 pounds overweight. So I lost 50 pounds. And well, yeah, I was happier, but I wasn't that much happier. And so I, I had to continue making a series of changes until I realized. Yes, there were ex- external things that were uh, contributing to my unhappiness, but the most important thing I had to do was change my own attitude and the way I responded to events around me. And it was when I decided to take control of my own life that I really found happiness. And so as I've been writing about money, it, it's been a way for me to explore the themes of how money relates to happiness and uh how to choose happiness just on its own, I guess. I think that's an interesting observation there that I think a lot of people, whenever we kind of step back and look at what we're passionate about or what we want to do in terms of work and career, that a lot of it has to do with us just kind of processing our own stuff and just choosing to do that in kind of a public format going, all right, I'm going through this or I have been through this. So now that I've been through it or I'm going through it or in the midst of it, I feel like I've got something to say on the subject and could help people along the journey who may be in the same spot. Sounds like that's kind of what happened with you. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I've always been a very public person, even in real life. You know, when I meet blog readers, they're, they're always kind of shocked at, oh my gosh, JD is just like he sounds on the blog. Right. Because I, I don't try to hide anything. And uh, so I process things publicly. And there are some advantages to that and there are some disadvantages. Sure. But in general, as I write about the things I'm learning and uh, the mistakes I make and the successes I have, my stories, it, it appeals to some people. And that, that's great because I'm able to help people along. And I, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Well, let's back up a little bit here. So did you go to college? Yes, I did. What did you study there? Or where'd you go? Well, I went to a small liberal arts college out here in Oregon uh, called Willamette University. And I studied psychology. Okay. Uh, I, also, I studied English. I've always been a writer ever since uh, third grade. And uh, I also did a little bit of, in public speaking. So it sounds like writing has always kind of been in your blood. You knew you wanted to do something yep. with writing. How did the, the psychology piece fit in there? Well, you know, when I was in high school, for whatever reason, my, all my friends, both boys and girls, they would come to me and they'd share their problems with me and, and uh, they'd talk things out with me, I guess. And so I went to college and thought, oh, I'll be a psychologist. And so I got that degree, and then I didn't do anything with it. Like many psychology majors, I ended up going down a completely different career path. And the writing thing, though, yeah, I always wanted to be a writer. I just thought I would write poetry or science fiction or maybe science fiction poetry or something. I never thought I would end up uh, writing about personal finance because I had no background in that. So the whole time you're in college studying, taking these uh, these psychology classes, taking and going that down that path, are you feeling like, yeah, this is something that I want to do, or are you just feeling like quickly, ah, this isn't for me, but I've already started down this path, so I might as well finish it. No, no, I I thought it was something I wanted to do, but I was never very good at looking ahead and and planning what the next steps should be. So I got to the end of college, and uh, instead of knowing what I should do next with a psychology degree, I really had no clue. I remember that I wanted to teach grade school. That was one of the things I wanted to do. And I, I even took the uh, graduate exams, the NTE, and I forget what the other one was called, but there's two tests that you take if you want to get into a teaching school. But I never followed through with that application. I was kind of aimless and directionless for a long time. And as, and as a result, uh, I didn't have any prospects coming out of college and had to go to work for my father, which is something I had sworn I would never do. What was he doing? 
He owned a small manufacturing business. He made corrugated packaging, so shipping boxes and that kind of thing. And I graduated from college. I, I tried to get, I didn't have any plans, so I went and uh, worked for uh, this insurance company, kind of a scammy insurance company for a while. Hated it, so uh, went crying to dad. I mean, it's really what it amounts to. And he said, all right, you can sell boxes for me. And so I did that. And uh, I hated it, though. It just was not what I wanted to do. So it sounds like you you did a couple different things uh, where you were studying psychology, intrigued in teaching, doing the insurance stuff, working at, for for dad, kind of bouncing around. Are the whole time are you trying to just hone in and figure out what am I supposed to do or how do I use this degree or where's kind of your head at during all this? No, it, so again, I was really directionless for a long time. I just kind of responded to life. I yeah, it sounds like you just kind of went with the wind. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I didn't take an active role in shaping my own future. I, I kind of, I don't know what I was waiting for. I guess I was waiting for somebody else to give me guidance or somebody else to say, hey, here's what you ought to do. And nobody was ever doing that. It, it, it's weird. You know, when you're in school, when you're in high school and when you're in college, it's pretty easy to just follow what your teachers are saying you ought to do, what your advisors are saying you ought to do. I, I was a good student. And so, my path was clear before me at all stages. And then I graduated and all of a sudden, there's not like a, a set of rules that you have to follow. It's up to you to shape what you're going to do. And I just didn't realize it at the time. And so it actually took me many, many years, Grant, before I realized it. It was probably 15 years after I graduated. I was probably about 35 years old before I realized, oh, you know what? I'm responsible for shaping the life that I want. I can't wait for it to happen. If I want something, I have to go out and uh, go after it. 15 years is a long time to just kind of be trying a few different things and just trying to figure out what that looks like. Looking back but, but now- But I don't think that's unusual. Yeah, no, I think that's true. You know, I think there's a lot of people that just, and I totally agree with that. I work with a lot of high school and college students and a lot of them, exactly the way you described it of, you know, they go from kindergarten through their senior year of high school and they just follow the script. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to do and they reach graduation and it's like, well, well, now what? You know, and it's like right. they they could do anything, and so we go from having the script written for us to having a blank script in front of us and not having any idea of how to even begin to process that or create that for ourselves. Exactly right. You're trying to a few different things there. It's, so it sounds like it wasn't even until you were maybe 35 or so that it started to just kind of dawn on you, like I got to start figuring some of this out. Right. And, and, you know, along the way, I'm experimenting in different things. A key part of my philosophy now, I should make it clear that now I'm 45. I just turned 45 a couple of months ago. And I'm very clear about shaping my own life and my own future. I, I mentioned at the beginning of this interview that I'm not very intentional when it comes to my business. I still kind of just react to what comes in. And, and that's true. But at the same time, in my personal life, I'm very directed about setting goals, having a purpose and knowing where I want to go. And so even though I'm just kind of reactive in the business, that's primarily because I don't need to do anything else. I've uh, reached a point where I'm financially independent. Again, I'm very fortunate to be in that position. But that means that I don't have to go out there and just pursue something doggedly when it comes to making money with my business. Instead, I can just kind of let things come in and then re respond to them. And in fact, as I told you before we started recording, I've got, I'm going to kind of 
cut back on the things I'm doing so that I can pursue some other things uh, more purposefully, I think. Well, that's interesting, too, that you mentioned that, you know, in your personal life, you always feel like you're pretty disciplined and pretty have a lot of direction and purpose and you know where you're going and how to make it happen. But from a business standpoint, even like you said, you've kind of just gone with the wind and kind of been floating with the current, depending on where that was going to take you. Right. It hasn't always been like that again, of course. Nobody gets 50 pounds overweight and deep in debt if they're uh, being purposeful with their actions. And uh, so I haven't always been purposeful in my personal life. But once I realized how powerful following goals and having a clear direction was, then I was able to achieve these things. Nice. So up until 35, kind of bouncing around, trying a few different things. It sounds like you're not really looking for anything, just trying to figure out what you're here to do. At what part yeah. of the whole time there, are you still kind of writing and still kind of dabbling in that? Or, or how's that? Is that just on the back burner? You know, for a long time, during the 1990s, it was on the back burner. I was working at the box factory, selling boxes. And there's like four different threads. The way I talk about it is there's four different threads. And I didn't realize that they were all uh, weaving this tapestry that would eventually become this personal finance blog. But that's what was going on. So I had my psychology degree, and I've always been interested in psychology, especially what we now call positive psychology, which is about happiness and uh, achievement. Uh, so I had the psychology degree. I'd always been interested in writing and during the 1990s, after I graduated from college, I didn't really have a direction for my uh, writing until I discovered the internet. And I actually discovered the internet in 93, 94, right when the web was young. But I didn't start writing for the internet until about 97. And in 1997, and maybe a year or two before, uh, some early people had begun writing weblogs, although we didn't call them weblogs at the time. The word had not been invented. Uh, we called them web journals. And so I was reading people who write, wrote their web journals, and I was fascinated by this, basically a public diary. And so in 1997, I started, started a blog before, before blog was even a word. And I dabbled with that for a few years. And then in 2001, uh, when the blogger tool, the, the tool actually called Blogger came out, I, I started a blog. And it was a personal blog where I just wrote about cats and comic books and computers and all these other things that I was interested in. The three Cs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it was meant for just my own edification, but I ended up getting a lot of readers, and mainly friends and family, but some other people as well, some acquaintances. And while all this was going on, so we've got the psychology, we've got the computers, we've got the writing, and then I was also struggling with the debt. So that, that's the uh, financial aspect, the, the money. So these four threads were all weaving together and leading me in a direction that I could never have anticipated when I graduated from college because there was no such thing as a personal finance blog in 1991. But in 2006, I founded Get Rich Slowly, the personal finance blog, and at first, you know, it made $2 a day or $3 a day. But within a couple of years, it was making hundreds of dollars a day. And when I was had particularly good days, it would make thousands of dollars a day. And it was, it was making enough income that I could sell it and sell it for a substantial amount. And again, I could never have known that there would be these four different threads leading to this one particular place in my life. But that's what happened. Yeah, and I think that's very powerful for people to realize because I think a lot of times we put massive amounts of pressure on ourselves feeling like I have to know what the one thing is. So like in your situation, you talk about psychology, computers, writing, and money. And most people would look at those four threads feeling the need to pick one of them. And right. you know, you've done a great job of saying, no, no, no. Why does it have to be just one or the other? Why can't I take all four and merge them into something? And I think that's really, really valuable because a lot of people, they're like, I'm, I'm not just 
like this singular person with this one single interest. I, I've got a lot of right. interests and a lot of different things that I'm good at. So how all of these things come together for one person uh, may look totally different for someone else. And so I think you've done a great job with that of saying, no, 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 I can take all four of these threads and incorporate all of them into my life instead of having to pick just one. Right. I think one key is being open to opportunity. So I don't think it's a good idea to be like I was, just kind of drifting in the wind. I think that people should have a purpose and should have a goal that they're working toward. But I also think they should not be so fixated on the goal that they're not adaptable. They should be willing to keep their eyes open at all times to all sorts of opportunities that come along and just kind of play around and try different things. I have this metaphor I use where I say that opportunities, uh, participating in new experiences and meeting new people and trying new things, each time you do something like this, it's like getting a lottery ticket. And most of the time, these lottery tickets won't pay off. But sometimes they pay off, and they might pay off in little ways. Maybe you'll meet somebody who ends up uh, becoming a good business colleague just because you were willing to take up or start a conversation in line at the grocery store or something. And sometimes they pay off in huge ways. So uh, one example I use is after I started Get Rich Slowly and I was writing about personal finance there, I had some readers start contacting me and asking if they could have lunch and stuff. And at first I would, I turned these down because I was very shy. I, I didn't want to do it. But eventually I realized, you know what? It's not going to hurt. So I, I started going out to uh, lunch or dinner with these people. And one of the people who asked me to lunch is a fellow named Chris Gillibo. And we struck up a relationship and a friendship and it's led to a lot of collaborative efforts. So for example, I've helped him put on his uh, world domination summit conference that he has here in Portland. Yeah. For the first three years, I participated in that. I'm not going to do it this year. And also, we recently put together a, an entire course on personal finance, which we also call Get Rich Slowly. And all of this, different things that we've done, we've traveled across the United States, we've traveled to Europe, all these different things are because I allowed myself to be open to opportunities. And I won this uh, imaginary lottery that I'm talking about. So when you try new things, when you're open to talking to new people, and you're not just so fixated on a goal that you're unwilling to be adaptable. Some amazing things can happen. Yeah, I, and I, I love that the personal finances guy is using the uh, the lotto analogy. But I think, <laughs> I, I, think it, I think it totally works. You know, I think I think that's absolutely true. I'm, I'm not a fan or advocate. I, I doubt you are either of, of buying lotto tickets and hoping right. that that no, works with my finances. But I think that definitely works. Where you you just don't know. And I think everybody, myself included, people listening to this, we can think through those little random things of this led to that and that led to this. And if I hadn't stepped through that first door, it would have never led to the place where I'm at now. And uh, so interesting how those little bits and pieces that at the moment, at the time, you think mean nothing can really turn into something substantial. So even like you're saying with Chris, you know, sitting down for dinner with this guy who at the time just seems to be this, you know, this random reader or follower of of your work, all of a sudden becomes this, you know, this, this, this lifelong friend and not only just friend, but just someone that you've done a lot of business with and has really, you know, helped shape your trajectory in a lot of different ways. This is absolutely true. But it and comes so, from like taking that opportunity in the first place. Yeah, you've you got to be willing to take risks. So one of the things I've talked about very publicly is I used to be afraid to try new things. I don't know. I, I was scared to take risks. And, and this is a, a lot of older children are like this, especially older children who've had some success in school like I did. It, it's a thing. It's a known thing in psychology. And you, you, you're afraid to take risks because you don't want to fail. And I had to get to a point where I was willing to say yes to the opportunities that came along and that I was willing to take risks and willing to fail. 
And once I did that, it became very clear to me that, oh my gosh, the people who actually are most successful in life are the people who take the most risks, who take the most chances, who try the things that they're afraid of. And sure, some of the, some of the things that they try, they're going to fail at, and some of them they're not going to like, but you don't know what you like. And you don't know what you're going to be good at unless you try a lot of different things. Yeah, I think there's so much truth there that you don't know unless you try. You know, you could try something. You could try a blog and it could be an epic failure or it could be yeah. a massive success. But you don't know unless you try. And so at some point, you've got to, 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 to get out of the boat and just try it. But as long it, as you're just staying on the shore and, and just trying to stay safe and comfortable and I'm not sure and it's not secure and it could yep. fail. It's like, yeah, all of those things are absolutely right. But you don't know it, unless you try. One of the key things, Grant, is I feel like I, and I know a lot of other people feel this way too, I learn more from my failures than I do from my successes sometimes. Because sure. if you're just successful at something, you're not really getting any feedback on why it works or why it doesn't. But if you, get fa- if you try things and you fail, you can say, oh, hmm, I'm no good at doing public speaking because of this reason. Uh, maybe I, I don't prepare enough or – I'm too reliant on slides or whatever. And so actually this public speaking example is perfect for me. At some point I decided that as part of my decision to overcome my fears, I needed to start doing public speaking because even though I had had uh, taken a lot of classes in public speaking in college, once I got into my adult life, I was just scared to death of it. And so once Get Rich Slowly became more successful, I got a lot of different opportunities to do public speaking. And at first I turned those down. But eventually I realized, you know what, I, I've got to say yes because I'm trying to overcome my fear. And the first few public speaking gigs I did, they were terrible. They were awful. And I'm embarrassed by them. But at the same time, I was able to learn from these particular mistakes. Uh, I'm thinking of one particular uh, conference I went to. It was a bunch of financial planners. And I had overprepared, basically. I had written out this 20-page speech with these slides and I got up in front of them and I was sweating bullets yeah. and I was lost. And eventually I learned that for myself, I can't use slides. Or if I have slides, they have to be very vague and only a handful of them. And I also can't have a written out speech. I, it can't be something that I'm reading or trying to memorize. I have to have bullet points and tell stories around these bullet points and just go and be more spontaneous. That's what works for me. But I wouldn't have known this unless I tried over and over again. Yeah, so exactly. I'm comfortable doing public speaking. Yeah, exactly. Of just like theory, most of us are just kind of staring at a blank screen thinking, this is the way I think I'm going to best operate. And then you try and you're like, oh, that, that didn't work or that did work or let's iterate or let's pivot. Let's try this over here. But again, coming back to that theme of you just, you don't know unless you try. So yeah. at the time you're doing this blog, this first blog on, on cats, comics, and computers, your three C's <laughs> there. What point are you starting to transition into the personal finance space? Well, in 2004, I finally had had enough of my debt. My then wife and I had just bought a new house and moved into it. And on paper, I could afford it. But when it came down to it, when we moved in, we had a whole bunch of remodeling to do. And with the new, our mortgage doubled basically from the old place to the new place. I I just felt like I was drowning. And so my friends who had been trying to tell me that I was bad with money for a long time, they reached out to me very gently and said, hey, JD, why don't you read a few books? So I read a few books. I, I read about how to the, the right way to do personal finance, I guess. And I thought there was a theme. I thought the theme was that you can't get rich quickly, but you can get rich slowly. There, there are some tried and true methods to get rich slowly. And so I wrote about this at my uh, personal blog where I was writing about cats, comic books, and computers. And for whatever reason, this article, which was called Get Rich Slowly, 
did very well and it was picked up by other big blogs. And this was just when blogs were starting to get big. And uh, I, I realized that, oh, there, there's something here. People are interested in this subject. So I decided I would start a personal finance blog. And I, I thought I'd be the first personal finance blog on the internet, not realizing <laughs> there were already dozens out there. And uh, so I did that and it was just a way for me to share my progress. I, I had three goals, basically. I wanted to improve my financial situation. I wanted to help other people improve theirs. And I wanted to make a little bit of money at the same time. But whenever you started it, I like that. Well, A, I like that we keep referencing cats, comics, and computers. <laughs> that, uh, that's awesome. Uh, so when you're starting it, though, it sounds like it's just kind of more of a just a little side project. And it's not like, hey, this yeah. is going to be my future and this is my next 10-year goal. And it's just kind of, no, no, this is kind of for me. It's kind of therapeutic. And if it helps a few people along the way, great. But it was never, it was just more of a passion project more than I've got this massive business plan set out for how this blog is going to take over the personal finance space. That's absolutely right. What I wanted to do was start a little hobby blog where I could make a few extra bucks per month. I thought maybe I could make 100 or $200 a month, and that would help me get out of debt. Because in 2004, in October of 2004, I had sat down and said, okay, I've got $35,000 in consumer debt. What am I going to do to get out of it? And I formulated a plan, and I, my plan said, okay, if I do these things, I can get out of debt in 39 months. And as part of that, I wanted to earn extra income. And that's a huge part of my philosophy, actually, is – uh, when you're trying to get out of debt or accomplish any financial goal, you've got to reduce your expenses, but you also have to increase your income. And so my process of increasing my income was trying to find a way to uh, start a website that could make a little bit of extra money. I just didn't realize it would turn into a business. So what would you say to someone that may be listening to this who is interested in blogging or is interested in maybe doing something as it relates to the, the personal finance space, which today is obviously a very, very crowded space. And obviously, yes. there's a lot of people writing about it. At the time, it sounds like you were creating good content. And it was also just kind of a right place, right time type of scenario that yep. really, really worked out well for you. What were some things that you did early on that gave you some traction that would still be regardless of the space or regardless of how crowded a niche may be today, some things that you think would still work today for someone writing? Okay. There are three things in particular, and I'm going to try to write them down real quick so I don't forget about them. Cats, comics, computers. No, no. That's no. the three. <laughs> okay, so the number one thing that I think helped set me apart from other blogs, and I think this is true for many successful blogs, is I focused on story. I didn't go out with the idea that I was going to share all this information about personal finance and that I was going to be an authority because I wasn't an authority. Instead, I just, I, as I uh, discovered new things and as I had some successes and failures, I shared my own personal story. I would write about, oh my gosh, I went into a bookstore and I spent $200 on books today. I suck. Or I would talk about, oh my gosh, I did such a great job this month. I stuck to my budget and so on. And so basically by telling my story and telling other people's stories too, People were able to engage. And I think that so many blogs nowadays, people go out and they start blogs and they're just very dry. It's as if this information came out of a book and not even a well-written book. But if people will take the risk and be vulnerable and tell their own stories, I think it's much easier for readers to engage. So the, the first aspect is uh, making a blog story-oriented. Uh, the second thing is to build a community. So... As Get Rich Slowly grew, I, I got some regular readers. And I made it 
a key part of the process to interact with these readers. When they would ask me questions, when they would email me questions or leave comments on the blog with questions, I, I would respond to those. And so I, I established this regular Friday feature that I called Ask the Readers. And that's where readers would email me a question like, what should I do for saving for my child's college education? And I don't know. I don't have kids. So I put it out there for the other readers to respond to. And I'd also respond to the comments and respond to emails. And so I, I built this community, and I, I very carefully fostered this. And I think that was an important part of it. And I also tried to stay positive, and I weeded out I don't necessarily weed out negative comments, not at all, but malicious comments. Uh, I don't mind if you disagree with me or other readers, but if, if you're going to be a jerk about it, I'm going to delete your comment. Yeah. So that was the thing I did at the start of Foster Community. And then the third thing was I leveraged existing relationships. And what I mean by that was I had been on the internet since 1993, as I said, or 94, I can't remember exactly when. And I was a part of some existing communities like forums or uh, other sites where uh, I was well known. And so I didn't go in there and start spamming, oh, look at my personal finance blog. But I just shared what I was doing when it came up in context. And as a result, a lot of people who knew me from these other places found Get Rich Slowly and started spreading the word. So those are the three things that I think were uh, very vital for me, telling story, building community, and then leveraging my existing relationships. Yeah, I like the way that you put all of those because really all of those are timeless. You know, so whether you're writing a, a personal finance blog at the at the beginning of the internet, or you're doing uh, talking about health and fitness today in a yep. crowded space, that telling stories, both your own, because it sounds like even just telling your story, you're like, I'm just a normal dude, and so yep. there's days where it goes really, really well, and days where I just feel like an epic failure in life. But I'm just going to share those stories either way because that's what normal human being life is like. But yep. then also, I like what you did with just building community. Uh, I love what you said of just kind of crowdsourcing answers. And someone would ask me something that's like, I don't know, I don't have kids. This isn't my world. But I bet someone out there who's reading this would probably have some good feedback or ideas on that. Uh, and then just uh, leveraging your existing relationships. And I like the way you put it, uh, doing it in context, not just stalking everyone like, hey, I got this blog, I got this post, I've got this yep. podcast, I got my thing, come follow my thing, read my thing, watch my thing. But just saying, no, no, if it comes up and it's natural and it makes sense, Here's this thing that I'm doing, not to necessarily just promote it, although there's certainly value there, but just saying, I think this could really be a benefit. I wouldn't be, uh, I'm writing this to, to help me process some stuff, but I think this could really be a benefit to others. And here's, here's how it fits into another, another one of those relationships. Right. And you know what? I hear a lot of people nowadays, it's tougher to start a successful personal finance blog or any other blog nowadays because the, the space is so crowded. That there's just no way to do it. And I don't agree. I think that if you take the right approach and if you're true to yourself and you tell stories and you build community, you can. And so the example I use is one of my colleagues is Mr. Money Mustache is what he calls himself. Yep. He, he's semi-anonymous online and he writes at MrMoneyMustache.com. His site has only been going for two or three years and it's massively successful. It, it went from nothing to one of the biggest personal finance sites on the, or blogs on the internet in a very short time. And it's precisely because he does the same things I'm talking about. He tells his own story. He's building a community. He's basically building a small army of like-minded people. And he's doing these timeless things, and he's doing it in the right way. Instead of going out there, so many blogs nowadays are focused on search engine optimization and writing about savings accounts or credit cards because those are the things that are going to pay the highest returns on affiliate links and stuff. Right. And Mr. Money Mustache, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't care, and he's got a very successful, profitable blog because he's telling his story, 
He's preaching his philosophy, and he's building a community that agrees with him. So what would you say to someone who maybe they're since, – since you're really someone that's known in this, this personal finance space and obviously it's not necessarily like you, you've got this master's in, in finance or anything, but just kind of you've lived it and have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. For someone who may be listening to this going, all right, I'm in working this dead-end job that I hate. It's not what I want to do. It's just kind of a, a means to an end. I'm trying to just jump to something else. I have an idea of what I'd like to do and maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's starting a blog. Maybe it's doing some type of little passion side project financially obviously that's a huge huge piece of it because at the end of the day we still have to eat and live indoors so we still i can't just quit my job on friday and start this dream job on monday so what are some practical things that people can do to make that leap or make that transition from where they are to where they want to be okay i've got a few things to say about this okay first of all from a financial perspective if you're wanting to change your direction one thing that you need to do is boost your savings rate as soon as possible. And what I mean by that is the difference between how much you make and how much you spend. We're often told that we should save 10% of our income. And you know the bold financial advisors will say, save 20% of your income. And that's all well and good, but at savings rates like that, you're building your nest egg very slowly. So over the past year or two, I've come to realize that it's much more effective to find a way to save 50% of your income And most people, when I give them that advice, they say, oh my gosh, J.D., that's so unrealistic. There's no way to do that. But the reality is there are ways to do that, and many people do. They don't sit there and say, oh, I can't do it because of X, Y, or Z, because I have kids or uh, because I don't make enough money. They just buckle down and find ways to do it. They cut back their spending, uh, especially on the big things like housing, uh, transportation, and uh, food, and, and they find ways to boost their income. So they've got this gap between what they're earning and what they're spending, that's about 50%. So that's the first thing you need to do is if if you're looking for any kind of transition, you've got to build a nest egg. I was just talking to somebody the other day whose husband is looking to make a career change. And in order to do that, they cut back hard on their spending. They dropped it as much as they could. And they accumulated this huge nest egg so that now he's got about six or seven months where he can quit work and go and look and find something else that he wants to do. So get that nest egg saved up. And the second thing is, I don't think that you should, well, the second and third are kind of related. I don't think you should pursue something simply to make money. I think that people who do this often end up unhappy. Not that making money is wrong, but if that's your only reason for going into something, for changing a career or whatever, it's easy to get frustrated because there's no, no passion behind it or you don't feel particularly good at it. When people are trying to choose what they want to do next, there's two things they need to consider. One is their passions, and the second is their skills. Some people will tell you that you need to follow your passion, and that's how you should choose what you do next. Other people tell you, no, 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 no. Ignore what you're passionate about. Do what you love is bad advice. You should do what you're good at. I think that you should consider both when you're looking at what you should do next. Figure out what you're good at. What, what is it that you're good at? Maybe you're a good writer, or maybe you're good at building furniture or who, who knows what it is. So consider your skills when you're looking at what to do next, but also consider what you enjoy doing and see if there's a way to combine the two. And as you're looking for something to do next, be willing to experiment, take classes at your local community college, talk to friends, talk to people who are doing the same things that you think you might want to do and ask them, what's it like? What's it like to own your own auto mechanic shop or whatever and figure out a way you can blend the passion and the skills together. 
great stuff. And I, I like the, the way you phrase that too on the, you know, saving 50%, which is, I agree, even for me, I'm going, man, that's huge. That's a, that's a massive amount. But yeah. at the same time, I think for someone that's, that's in a position or a job right now where they hate their job and they hate their life, it just quickly did, it just it quickly shows how serious are you about getting from where you are to where you want to be because ah. if you're not that serious you'll just you'll keep doing it and it's like cuz uh, cuz it's not worth doing the 50% you can you'll continue to tolerate it and kind of you just kind of become numb to it and this becomes just your existence but for people that are serious about it they're going 50% man that's a lot but if that 50% if creating that massive nest egg and giving me that additional runway if that's going to get me out of this and get me over there to where I want to be and I know I'm going to be happier and going to be more enjoyed and more fulfilled in what I'm doing. Okay, let's do it. Let's make those sacrifices. Let's let's make that commitment and in order to make that leap. I think that's so awesome, Grant. I've never thought of it like that. How serious are you? You're exactly right. When when people are complaining that oh they want to do something different, oh but I just can't because I can't save enough money. It really does come down to how serious are you? If you really want something, you'll do it. My cousin used to say this to me. I would talk about how, oh, my priority is to lose weight. And he'd say, well, then why don't you? I'm like, and I would come up with a reason of excuses. And he'd say, well, then that's not, well, losing weight isn't your priority, is it, JD? I'd say, of course it is. He says, no, the priorities, your priorities aren't the things that you say you want. They're the things you actually do. The things you yeah. do are the things that your priorities. And it's just what you're saying. How serious are you? If, if you really want to try something new, then you'll find a way to save that 50% or whatever it is so you can make this transition. So, 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 so true. And, and obviously, this is something that's not just relevant just for personal finance, but of any aspect, any element of life, that yeah. life is what you make it. And if it is a priority, you'll make the time, make the, you'll set aside the money to actually accomplish it and make it happen. JD, you've, you've really shared some great, great stuff, some awesome knowledge, and just some, some great wisdom here on not only your story and transition, but some what other people can do to, to follow in, in similar footsteps there. So if someone wants to find out more about you and, and kind of what you're up to and follow some of your reading and writing, where do we go? Where do we track you down? Also, I know that you've got this new uh, course that just came out called Be Your Own CFO that really ties in with this whole idea on personal finance and getting rich slowly. So where do we find out about all of this stuff? Well, at my personal site, which is jdroth.com, I write a lot about overcoming fear and choosing happiness and pursuing personal and financial freedom. My personal finance writing is kind of scattered around the web, but the latest version of my financial philosophy can be found at moneytoolbox.com, where I recently release this course that you're talking about is the Get Rich Slowly course. And the uh, centerpiece of that is this guide that we call Be Your Own CFO, which is all about taking control of your financial life and saying, no, 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 I'm in charge of what happens with my finances. I'm not going to sit there and be reactive. I'm going to be proactive. And I'm going to do things like save 50% of my income and uh, set goals and uh, spend consciously. Awesome. And if you're listening to this and, and that's intriguing to you, definitely, definitely, definitely. If you're serious about it, then don't just listen to it because it, it's one thing to just listen. And I, I know a lot of people, you may be listening to this right now. You may just be nodding along going, yeah, I need to do that. I need to get rid of my credit card debt. I need to pay. I need to save up some money so I can create that runway and that nest egg. But if you're serious about it, then something like this Be Your Own CFO guide and course is really something that can help make that happen. So make sure that you check that out at moneytoolbox.com. Check out JD stuff, jdroth.com. And we will link up to all of those things in the show notes today. So JD, thanks, man. Really appreciate the time. Really, really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it was great. And uh, we'll look to catch up with you again real soon. Sounds good.
Okay, there you have it. Wrapping up uh, episode 13 with J.D. Roth. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you were inspired by his story. Uh, I liked what we talked about at the end there where, where basically it was like, listen, how serious are you? about making your dream a reality. We all know people who talk about a dream. We all know people that are going to get to the end of their life and have all kinds of regrets over what could have been. But what is it going to take for you? No, I'm serious, all right? I want you to really ponder this and think about this. What is it going to take for you to go from living the kind of life that you hate to creating the kind of life that you love? At what point is it going to bother you enough to do something about it? Because here's the deal. There's a lot of things that may bother you, but do they bother you enough to change? And so even like like whenever JD mentioned that saving 50% of your income, most people would have either one or two reactions. Most people are going, no, 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 no. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Nobody does that. But as JD alluded to, he's someone who's financially independent today because of those sacrifices he was willing to make. I would guess that if you were to ask him at this moment, hey, would you change anything? Would you do anything different? Was it worth it? He would say, absolutely. Was it tough? Absolutely. Was it easy? Of course not, but it was totally, totally worth it. So what's it going to take for you to make some of those sacrifices and changes in order for you to have the kind of life that you want to have? Hey, hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. Hope you enjoyed this the, all the podcast episodes that we've done, the, the various shows, and just a lot of a lot of great guests. So many more great guests still to come, and I'm, I'm super super pumped and super stoked to be able to share some of those with you. Uh, again, if you haven't already, be sure to stop by grantbalden.com/slash/itunes and please uh, just leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. That really really helps us out, helps other people to discover and find the show, and uh, it's it's good to know that people are listening. It's good to know that it's helping and providing value for your world. Hey, and if you haven't already, uh, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to email me, grant at grantbaldwin.com. Email me anytime. Just let me know what you're chewing on, what you're pondering about life, uh, maybe some different career ideas you're kicking around, what I can do to help you. I'm, I'm more than, more than happy to uh, to do that for you. So please, please, please give me a shout uh, or you can catch me on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. All right. Hey, again, all show notes you can find at grantbaldwin.com slash JD Roth. Make sure you stop by and check that out. All right. That wraps up episode 13. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.